This is the City of God podcast, where Christ meets culture. Welcome to the City of God podcast, where we are weekly talking about today's biggest cultural issues all through the lens of God's infallible word. I'm Rob Pacienza, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, John Rabe. John, great to see you today. It is great to see you, Rob, and we have another exciting program today, and it's particularly important. You, Your kids are younger than mine. My kids have reached adulthood now, but you have young kids that you are in the midst of of raising and and pastoring, not only as a pastor, but as a father. And we look across the landscape and we see the 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 threats that face our children. We see the the caustic agents that are there to to dissolve their faith. And you and 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 so I know you face that uh, as you uh, you know help to run a school that is teaching children uh, the Christian point of view as they learn and, and raising your own children. But you you know more than anybody, there's just a crying need for people who have understanding in that area, who have the ability to communicate in that area. And our guest today is one of those people. Yeah, our guest today is Natasha Crane. Uh, she is a uh, national uh, speaker, author, uh, she's a thought leader that is helping uh, the church disciple the family in this area called Christian worldview. And as you said in the intro, uh, this is something that is important to not only uh, the two of us as we talk about worldview issues every week on this podcast, but really needs to be important to the entire church as a whole. Uh, we are seeing in the North American church, for instance, some statistics uh, as low as 3% of the North American church operates with a biblical worldview. Mm. Um, so we are certainly living in uh, not only uh, concerning times considering what's happening in the mainstream media and what what the cultural elites are doing in the in the universities and in the government, but in our own churches. Uh, when, when three six, nine percent even uh, is, you know, depending on the region of the country, operates with a biblical worldview. That means three, six, nine percent is using the word of God to inform every area of life. And like you said, our our guest today has committed her life, her ministry, her writing, her speaking to helping to wake up the church, but give them practical tools, particularly for the family, on how they can raise their children with a biblical world and life view. It's been said many times that Christianity is always only one generation away from extinction. Uh, Dr. Kennedy, our founder, uh, said that on more than one occasion as well. And so the 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 passing on the faith to the next generation is of paramount importance, not only for the faith itself, but for their own well-being. This is this is our children's and grandchildren's eternal blessedness or not that is ex- at stake here. And I don't envy, you know, Rob, you and I, I'm a little bit older than you. We grew up, you and I grew up in somewhat different times, but it's nothing compared to what you and I grew up in, in the 70s and 80s and 90s is, is nothing compared to what a child is growing up with now in the 2020s. Especially, well, especially with the speed of technology, exactly. the speed of information, our children being inundated with information via the internet social media, their iPhones. I mean, it is coming at them um, faster and faster. Misinformation, information that is is not doing anything to edify their faith, but if anything, tear their faith down. Um, and, and that's why uh, Natasha Crane, our guest, is so passionate about this issue. She's written several books concerning uh, the family, raising children, cultural apologetics uh, for pa- parents. How do you defend your faith? Her latest book is Fa- Faithfully Different 
uh, regaining biblical clarity in a secular uh, culture. And it's as practical as you can get. These are worldview issues. There's a there's a philosophical element. But what I love about Natasha and people who do this sort of work is she brings it to bear on the family, on children. This is not just, you know, up in the air academic discussion. This is how do we deal with these issues when it comes to our own children and yep. our own families. So we're going to talk about the family, worldview, cultural apologetics, uh, and how we can give the church a wake-up call. So without further ado, here is our interview with Natasha Crane. Natasha Crane, it's so great to meet you via Zoom and have you on the City of God podcast today. Hey, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Natasha, let's jump right in uh, to uh, the resources in particular I want to talk about. I know John wants to ask you questions about as well. Uh, First of all, you can uh, find uh, out about Natasha at natashacrane.com. There you can find out a little bit about her and her ministry, her passion, and uh, get her resources. But your latest book, Faithfully Different, Regaining Biblical clarity in a secular culture. Um, What inspired you to write that book? Well, I had written about apologetics topics for parents for several years before that. And apologetics, just how do you make a case for and defend the truth of Christianity? And I really tried to stay narrowly focused within that lane. But in 2020, everything kind of changed for me because I looked around and I saw that so many people were getting caught up in ways of thinking that were not consistent with a biblical worldview. And so I wrote a blog post called Five Ways That Christians Are Getting Swept Into a Secular Worldview in This Cultural moment. And it went viral. It was liked and shared tens of thousands of times. And I realized that this was something that people were really struggling with at the time. And so I started writing more and more about this, getting out of kind of just that parenting lane that I had been in. And I realized that people really wanted to read more about this whole topic of secularism. How do you parse out a secular and a biblical worldview? What does that look like? And so that led to Faithfully Different and just writing to help people think through what does it mean to believe, think, and live differently than the secular culture around us. What was it about? 2020 that really launched those issues even farther to the forefront. Uh, You know, we've been dealing with all of the things that you talk about for even decades now, but there really has been just this rapid acceleration and advancement of of secularism, of unbiblical ways of thinking, of a rejection of truth even uh, in in more recent years. And and particularly uh, in 2020, I think we saw it bubble to the surface. Well, I think that, like you said, this has been going on for a long time. And so there are plenty of people who are already holding those views. And so this was just kind of consistent with what they already believed. But I think what was different then is that you had a lot of people who otherwise would hold to the historic Christian faith, but didn't really know about these social justice movements, Mm -hmm. the kinds of things that started rising up. And so things that sounded good started to be embraced by Christians without realizing, hey, wait a second, there are some problems here. You know, these are organizations that are supporting the destruction of the nuclear family, for example. So maybe I shouldn't use the hashtag. Maybe I shouldn't follow along blindly with some of these things. And so I think that a lot of people kind of started to sense, wait, I'm not sure about this, but they couldn't put their finger on exactly what the problem was because a lot of people had never heard of subjects like critical theory before that time. And of course, that was this Marxist-based way of thinking that you had seen for many, many years, especially coming on from the 60s on, on up to today. But most people weren't familiar with it. 
So we start embracing ideas that we shouldn't be. And I think it's taken a while for people to start having these discussions. Unfortunately, I think more Christians are starting to open eyes to, to the, the problems with this way of thinking. Natasha, in your book, Faithfully Different, you jump right in and your opening chapter is on worldview and you talk about it's no longer normal to be a Christian. Explain for our audience, how would you define what a worldview is and why does it matter? Yeah, it's a great question because I think a lot of times we throw out around these words, but don't stop to define them. A worldview is basically how a person answers the big questions about reality. Who, who are we as people? Where did we come from? Why are we here? Is there an objective meaning and purpose to life? Where are we going? Is there a God? These big questions of life. Everyone has a worldview, even if you haven't thought of it. So sometimes people say, oh no, you know, I'm an atheist. I don't, I don't believe anything. I just lack a belief in God. Well, you still have a worldview because because if you don't believe that there's anything beyond the natural world, then there are going to be certain things that are consistent with that belief for anyone who shares that. So a worldview is just a kind of a, a summary of how you see reality. And as Christians, we should seek to have a biblical worldview. We want to see everything through the lens of what the Bible teaches. And you touched on it there with the, the fact that everybody has a worldview. And even the person who says, oh, I don't have one, has one and doesn't realize it. Uh, if we don't examine our worldview, having one already, we're just essentially going to inherit it from somewhere. Uh, and in the, typically now, rather than inheriting it from our culture or our church, we will inherit it from the culture. Uh, that will be the thing that sort of shapes our, our worldview now. So what is it that, why is it and how is it that a Christian should step back and examine their worldview? What are some of the key things that they should be asking uh, and, and trying to correct as they formulate a biblical worldview. Well, you're absolutely right that people usually aren't consciously picking up their worldview. In fact, if you look at the research Dr. George Barna has found through his research at uh, the Cultural Research Center in Arizona Christian University, that 88% of people embrace an impure, unrecognizable worldview that blends multiple perspectives together. In other words, we're just kind of holding pieces that we've picked up along the way and they don't actually fit together. It's like having a puzzle that doesn't actually work. So people aren't being very conscious about their worldview. And we do the same thing. As Christians, a lot of times we do pick up those pieces from other places. The, the number one thing that we need to be doing as Christians to make sure that we're actually seeing reality through the truth of the Bible, through what God has revealed, is we need to read the Bible. And unfortunately, research also shows that a lot of Christians aren't reading the Bible on a consistent basis. So it's no surprise that most of us don't even have a biblical worldview, that we're believing just like the rest of the world does. So that's the first thing. And I think one of the most important things when you're reading the Bible is to ask the right questions as you're reading. Because so many times today you pick up a Bible study or you, you know, people follow people online, things like that. And what they're asking is, well, what does this mean for me? The question always comes back to me. Well, that's how we can form some really poor theology and end up having an unbiblical worldview. What we should be asking is, what does this say about God, mm -hmm. who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do in the future? So when we ask the question about what does this say about God, then we can go to what does this say about mankind? What does it say about human beings? What does it say about our relationship? And at the end of that, 
how do I apply these truths to my life? It's not, what is this about me? And I think when we start to ask the right questions while we're reading the Bible, we're going to have a more biblical worldview. When you look at the ways that people go off course on this, um, for example, in that Barna research, they find that one of the most common ways that people don't have a biblical worldview, and otherwise they do believe biblical things, is they believe that having faith is more important than what faith you have. Think about that for a minute. How do you read the Bible and get that? That as long as you just have faith in something, anything, just generic concept of faith, then that means it doesn't matter what faith you have. That's not biblical. Our faith is solid because of what we have faith in, in God himself. He's the one who's trustworthy. So I think all of those things come along with reading the Bible consistently and asking the right questions. Natasha, something that we talk often about here, and I know you talk about it a lot as well, is secularism. Um, could you, one, define secularism for us, and then maybe talk about what are the implications of a, a purely secular public square and the ramifications well, a- for our, our society and for the next generation? That's a really huge question, and people will define secularism in a lot of different ways. It's been defined differently over over the centuries, actually. Uh, But secular in terms of the political structure of a country means that we don't have an official state church. Basically, we were the first uh, formally secular country and that there's no established church that we have in the United States. So there's no authority of a church. Well, in the same way, as I talk about faithfully different, secular can be applied to an individual level. We say someone has a secular worldview, meaning that they're not looking to the authority of any particular religion or God in their personal life. So what do you end up with that statistic I mentioned earlier, that 88% of people just believe whatever they put together because they aren't living under any particular authority. And so I think one of the most important concepts I try to get across and faithfully different is this idea that there is a commonality here amongst people who have a so-called secular worldview, that the tie that functionally binds the worldviews of millions of people together in this secular culture is the authority of the self rather than the authority of God. That's the commonality. The vast majority of people are looking to themselves to be the authority. Boy, and do we see that playing out so much, particularly now in the modern LGBTQ movement, where uh, whatever I believe internally is what I am, uh, regardless of biology, regardless of external facts. But when you have this worldview sort of percolating, it affects us in so many ways. And I know that, you know, I, I talk to people in my church, I talk to people in life, and they're so concerned about their children, they're so concerned about their grandchildren growing up in this particular environment. I know that's been a key interest of yours as we've talked about. You've written the book, uh, Keeping Your Kids on God's Side, among other things in this regard. What is it that parents need to be focusing on as they try to raise Christian children in a culture that is no longer pro-Christian or even neutral, but very anti-Christian and sees Christianity as a negative force that needs to be silenced? Yeah, this is a huge question and it's so important and there can be so much that we could talk about, sure. uh, about that. But 
uh, it starts with the parents taking on the responsibility of being the primary disciplers of our kids. That's kind of the first step, because I think for a long time, parents were kind of complacent. We felt like in past decades, we could just take our kids to church every week. Not that that was what we were supposed to do, but I think that a lot of parents felt that they could do that because you know, I'm going to take my kids to church. They're going to learn about, you know, the basic Bible stories and everything's going to be fine. Culture is generally, you know, supportive of this. And, and people didn't think that much about it. And today, a lot of parents are waking up and saying, well, I have to think a lot about this now. I have to do something. And it's it's a good thing in the sense that now I think parents who are committed to their faith realize I've got to step it up. So what does that mean to step it up? Well, first, embrace your identity as someone who, as a follower of Jesus, needs to be the disciple or in the home and take that seriously. This is not about just dropping your kids off at church every week. Second is getting equipped yourself with an understanding of apologetics, for example, of how you make a case for and defend the truth of Christianity. I, I really think that there are four different areas of knowledge that kids growing up in this culture need. Very briefly, number one, they need to understand what the Bible teaches. That doesn't mean just talking about the same five stories that you hear in Sunday school every week. Uh, that means actually reading the Bible deeply with your kids and consistently. Uh, number two is why believe it? That's something that a lot of parents never get to with their kids. But of course, we believe extraordinary things as parents who believe that Jesus was raised from the dead 2000 years ago. Why should I believe that as a kid? That seems extraordinary, right? So we need to help our kids understand the case for the truth of Christianity. That means getting equipped ourselves, not just handing your kids a book, but integrating this into the way that we disciple our kids, raising this, raising them to understand why there's good reason to believe this is true. The third thing is helping them understand what others believe. You know what? So many parents push back on me about this. They say, well, I just want to teach my kids the truth. I'm, if they know the truth, they will spot the counterfeits. I think that this is one of the biggest mistakes parents can mm. make. If you aren't going to teach your kids about the have truths and the deceptions that are out there in culture, then they're not necessarily going to be such an expert and on the Bible and understanding truth that they're going to see through that. It's deceptive. It's not so straightforward as the new atheism was of, hey, there is no God. Now you hear things like follow your heart and kids are like, that sounds great. That is a completely different worldview. That's a totally secular worldview based on the authority of the self. So no, they won't necessarily spot falsehoods just because you've taught truth. So what others believe is the third thing. And the fourth thing is answering challenges. So when people say, hey, there's no evidence for God's existence, a direct challenge like that, how do you answer it? How do you teach your kids how to respond to others? So that's kind of, those are the four big content areas that I think kids really need today, but none of that will happen if you first don't commit to being the discipler of your kids and second, don't equi get equipped yourself. Natasha, that is so helpful. And I, I just love your emphasis on the family. The family is the foundational sphere of a flourishing society. Um, and I think we can all agree that yes. uh, the family is under attack. Parental rights is under attack. And in, a, in an age where our children are being inundated uh, in a culture of chaos and confusion, the last thing we need to be doing is taking away from the family, taking away parental rights. We need to be doing everything to uh, lift up the family and to affirm parents, as the as Natasha just said, as the chief disciple. And the culture is trying to insert that wedge between the parents and the family. They're working to actually cause that separation. So you're exactly right. And, and so many, just to reiterate, as I said at the top of the program, um, you can go to natashacrane.com to find all of her books, all of her resources. Uh, we use, I have a 
10-year-old child, a 12-year-old child. We use her resources in our home. Um, and one of the other book, Faithfully Different, uh, the other book that we John just mentioned, Keeping Your Kids on God's Side, 40 Conversations to Help Them Build a Lasting Faith. Natasha, I know uh, this person is a hero uh, of yours, a hero of mine, Nancy Percy, who's been talking about worldview for years. Nancy says in the book, I wish my children were young again so we could use Natasha's resources. So incredible endorsement, but I think that just speaks volumes to uh, how God is using Natasha and her resources. Let's talk about the next generation. Natasha, another thing you write about in, in your resources is this idea of deconstruction and and deconstruction just being uh, one of the tools of the enemy uh, to attack uh, to attack Orthodox Christianity and particularly attack the next generation. Talk to us a little bit about deconstruction, what it is, and why it's so important for our parents to wake up, Christian parents to wake up, and how the next generation will be affected by this. Well, deconstruction is another one of those terms that people can mean a lot of different things by. So it can be very confusing. Sometimes people think that, oh, that's a that's a good thing. Uh, And most of the time it is used in a sense of, hey, I am no longer going to believe anything that you know, someone else tells me I have to believe, basically, I'm going to take apart everything that I once believed, and I'm going to decide what I believe now. That is the approach that most people have. And it's become this very trendy thing. You can find influencers all over online who are even helping people deconstruct. Uh, if there's a if there's a parent listening whose kid is kind of getting into this, I want you to know that I've never personally seen an influencer online who is featuring that they are deconstructing, and they mean that in a positive sense. Mm. Uh, so in general, what somebody means is we're getting away from that horrible evangelical Christianity. That's sort of what it means. And ultimately, I think it's a deconversion from the authority of God and his word to the authority of the self. So when people deconstruct, they can end up in all kinds of different places. They could end up in a place where they, you know, believe that, yes, I believe that, you know, the Bible's helpful. That's usually kind of the criteria that they're looking for. I believe that the Bible's helpful, but I'm going to throw out this thing or that thing all the way down to I'm going to have a full deconversion from any belief in God at all. So it's really hard to define this word deconstruction, but sometimes when people will say, oh, well, I just, I'm not sure what I believe anymore. I'm going to kind of pull apart the things that I know and rebuild from the Bible up. Well, that's a good thing. We want to understand what we believe. And you don't necessarily just want to believe what someone else has told you. You want to believe what God has said and what's true about reality. And so if your child is saying, hey, I I am deconstructing, ask them what they mean, because they can mean so many different things. Um, But ultimately, it's important to know that the vast majority of the time, if your child is out there looking for information on on deconstruction, they are going to come across a lot of people who are going to encourage them to believe whatever they personally find helpful and true. And they're getting away from any sense that the Bible is God's word. Natasha, you've made a great case for why discipleship and teaching is so important when it comes to the next generation and the role of parents and family in that, uh, and that we can't just rely on a visit or two to church a week to take care of that. Uh, This leads us to an area that often steps on some toes, but we have to talk about how we educate our children. Uh, The days where you could just send your child off to the, the public school 
school down the road and that they were basically going to hold and teach the same values that you do. If that ever existed, that's long in the past. Uh, Parents need to be looking at what sort of education all across the board they're going to be giving their children, don't they? Oh, this is this is a really, really important subject. In fact, I've been uh, doing research and, and episodes on it for my own podcast recently because I want to encourage parents to think about education differently. And what I've basically said is I, I wish that I had some philosophy of education when I had started parenting. Um, I have twins who are 14. I have a 12 year old. And I started out like a lot of parents when my kids were in preschool thinking, OK, I just want the best educational path where they're going to be the smartest and they're going to learn the most and they're going to get all this knowledge into their head so that they can then get to a really good college and get a really good job. And I was very, my whole life, I was academically inclined. And so that kind of made sense to me. Just keep them on the hamster wheel, right? Get the (laughs) education, go on, get the job, all these things. But this is not a Christian view of education. And uh, and it, I think it's not the fault of a lot of parents for thinking that, well, this is this, you know what you do for education. I don't think the church has done a great job of helping parents think that this is actually part of your discipleship. How, what you choose for education, how you approach education is extremely important. And I think that we have to kind of step back and say, what does God want for a kid's education? Ultimately, all truth is God's truth. And so if our kids are going to have an education about how the world works, it's going to have to be rooted in that. And so our philosophy of education, it could be worded a whole lot of different ways, but it should be something along the lines of we're raising kids who are going to know God, they're going to know his world, and they're going to view truth through that reality and develop the character of what it means to love the Lord. And so how does that get accomplished? Well, parents who have kids in public school who are listening to this, they, I'm sure, They're thinking, well, not everyone can put their kids in a private school. Not everyone can homeschool. And that's absolutely true. There are some parents who cannot do that. And so I want to say to those parents who have kids in public school that you can still do a lot, but it requires correction and supplementation. There are things, your your kids' whole education, this is not just about, oh, they're going to hear some more curse words if they're in public school. It's the nature of the entire education itself that they are not learning how to see things from God's perspective. And so you're going to have to be very involved in knowing what your kids are learning so that when there are things that are not being presented correctly from a biblical perspective, that you are right there ready to be able to correct that. And there are things that they're not going to be learning in the first place so that you should be supplementing on that. And that that takes a lot of effort, but it's just the reality. And by the way, that's the same thing in private schools. I I have three kids who have been through Christian private school. I've also homeschooled for three years. So I've seen the combination of these Christian private schools. A lot of them are not teaching from a deeply biblical perspective. They are adding some prayer and a chapel and doing some uh, fun Bible stuff once in a while, but that doesn't mean they're integrating God's truth into all the classes. It doesn't mean that they're teaching history through the lens of a, a Christian uh, perspective. There's so much more to education. So this is a soapbox one for me. I can go on and on, oh, but I, I hope it. that that gives yeah. people some things to think about. Really start with having the right philosophy of education, and that's going to tailor everything else that you do. So Natasha, you've seen the statistics. We've seen the statistics. 
uh, whether it's from Dr. George Barna or Lifeway, uh, the uh, the amount of children, youth that are eventually leaving the church, walking away from the faith. Um, you know, we've seen numbers uh, from 60 percent all the way up to 80 percent by the time they go off to college. How do we give parents out there listening some hope? How do, how do they how do they reverse that tide? How do they ensure uh, that their children are given the proper foundation to not be part of that growing statistic in the North American church? Well, I think a lot of parents hear an interview like this and start feeling overwhelmed because they're thinking, oh, what, what, what do I need to do? I'm not prepared for this. I don't know. I wasn't given this, those kinds of things. And so it, it is it is a tough spot because on the one hand, I want to say, well, be encouraged because with God, you know, with prayer and staying in, in close relationship with the Lord, of course you can do this. On the other hand, I don't want parents to think, oh, well, then I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to put it all in, you know, God's hands, quote unquote, and I, I'm not going to do all this stuff. Well, God is still told us what we were supposed to do. You know, we should, we should be passing on our faith to the next, the next generation here. So we have to kind of walk that balance. But one thing that I always try to keep in mind and share with people is that we can't have a purchase mentality when it comes to our kids' faith. None of this is to say that if you put in X, Y, and Z, then you have this guaranteed outcome of ABC. It doesn't work that way. Ultimately, your kid's relationship with the Lord is between them and the Lord. We're not called to be purchasers of their faith with the currency of our effort. We are called to be investors. We put in everything that God has called us to, and then we leave that to him to take that and make that grow. So the question is, are you being an investor? Are you putting in everything that you can and getting educated about what you need to be putting in? You know, sometimes people say, well, I'm, I'm doing my, my best and I'm, you know, we pray together a couple of times a week and sometimes we open the Bible. Well, I don't think that that's actually your best. So we have to actually check our hearts sometimes and say, is this the best? of what I should be doing. And that requires us to understand the challenges that are out there today and equip our kids accordingly. That's really why I wrote my first three books is to just it put the questions in front of parents that they need to be talking about with their kids. Because a lot of parents started saying, well, I want to talk about things. I want to do my best, but I don't know what does that mean exactly. So here, here are the conversations that we need to be having with our kids today. And just as a reminder to everyone, if you found out that your kid tomorrow has a really bad pain allergy, a fatal peanut allergy, you would be researching everything imaginable to make sure that your kid is not coming into contact with peanuts. You'd want to know where all of those things lie in the world around them. You would be ultimately prepared for that challenge. How much more important is it that our kids come to know and love the Lord? And yet a lot of times we don't take the time to get up to speed on these things. So treat it with the urgency that it has while recognizing we're ultimately not in control of the outcome. That's so helpful. And just once again, I think what's so important for our audience to hear is that we often have these conversations and it's too late. Mm -hmm. We think of discipling our children maybe the year before they go off to college. We, we kind of get them equipped, send them off to a, an apologetics camp, but it is never too young, cannot emphasize enough, never too young to become be, to be shepherding your child's heart, to be discipling them. Right from um, the crib. Ab absolutely. Their worldview is being developed way earlier and way younger than we even realize. And so we need to be having these conversations. Well, Natasha, thank you so much for your contribution to this conversation about 
how we disciple the next generation. Once again, you can go to natashacrane.com for all of her resources to find out about her and her ministry. And just on behalf of Coral Ridge Ministries and the City of God podcast, thank you for your important voice in this cultural moment. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the City of God podcast with our interview with Natasha Crane. As always, if you benefited from this podcast and you think a family member or friend would benefit as well, please make sure you pass it along to them. We will see you next time and may the Lord richly bless you. The City of God podcast is produced by Coral Ridge Ministries and made in partnership with the Institute for Faith and Culture. Visit us at cityofgodpodcast.com to access all of our previous episodes. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or anywhere you get podcasts. A full video version of this podcast is available on YouTube. This is the City of God Podcast, where Christ meets culture.